The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, host Bev Livingston will speak with her guests, Angelica Jimenez of the National Center for Youth Law and Janae Relaford Davis of Camp Choice. They will be talking about their recent event, an Eliminate Fines and Fees rally supporting debt-free justice for youth. Youth deserve the opportunity to be our next leaders, liaisons, and legends. But fines and fees handed down by courts are blocking youth from building the futures they envision for themselves and leaving youth and families with crushing debt. Youth and community leaders are coming together to urge Missouri policymakers to end fines and fees in the juvenile legal system. Missouri House Bill 1142, introduced by Representative Burnett, would eliminate fines and fees for cases in juvenile court in Missouri. The bill is part of a nationwide effort led by youth, families, community leaders, and juvenile court lawyers in the debt-free justice campaign. Bev and her guests will explain why your support of this bill is important. We'll play our calendar at the midpoint of our hour. Then host Latara Smith of KC Freedom Project will speak with Cliff Middleton about the impact of new Missouri legislation that could free his father, Ken Middleton, from wrongful incarceration. In 2005, the Middletons were optimistic that the nightmare gripping their family might be over because a judge had overturned his conviction. But nearly 20 years later, the 78-year-old Missouri man is still behind bars. The Missouri legislature passed a law in 2021 that allows release after a new hearing on a case. There is a way to free Ken Middleton from prison, if there is the will. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning. Good morning. Janae and Angela. Janae and Angela. Good morning. Good morning. We are here. We to, are here to. Uh, we're here to talk, we're here to about, talk about the youth rally, the youth rally that was held, that was held on, on past, Saturday. past Saturday. And during that time, during that time, we had a room we had a room of people, of people who represent, represent the grassroots, the grassroots organization in our community. In our community, and they also. They also have you have who are very who important, are very important to, a project, to a project such as this. Such as this. I would like, I to, would start like to start with, start with Angie, Angie explaining, explaining House Bill, House Bill 1142, 1142, the legislation, the legislation that, we that are going into action for, pass- for passing in the state of Missouri. And if you'll start by telling the audience who you are, Angie, and your role, and just what you felt about the Saturday Youth Rally. Yeah, good morning, Beth. Thank you for having me. 
Um, yeah, I'm a senior attorney with National Center for Youth Law, and so we've been working for the past several years and really launched a national campaign just two years ago called Death Free Justice. And what we aim to do is to eliminate juvenile court fines and fees all across the country. And so we've started work in Missouri just about a year and a half ago, meeting with community members, um, advocacy groups, other stakeholders to find out what the issues were and do a lot of requests on what the data is and to see what the landscape is in Missouri. And so what we found in Missouri is something we're finding in other states is that court fines and fees are very commonly assessed when a youth enters the juvenile legal system. And so a, a fine can be um, a punitive, it's really a punitive measure. So if a child is in um, the juvenile legal system, there could be fines associated with a, a charge against them, and they could also be imposed um, court fees, which is really the purpose of that is to raise revenue for the government. And so any cr criminal case that you run into in civil cases as well, there's uh, fees are associated with it that go into um, the budget for the courts and for the counties. And so what this bill would do is if it's passed, and it's already been introduced, but if it gets passed, what it does would eliminate all of these different fees that you'll see, um, some of them that are really common that, you know, people don't even know about are like a court reporter fee, a court automation fee, uh, a fee for detainment. And these can add up. This you know, can be $20 a day for confinement, um, $7 here, $15 there. That can all add up to hundreds of dollars for youth and families, and many of which can't afford it. And so what the bill would do is would eliminate them and really focus on addressing the issues, holding youth accountable, but not in a way that's going to put them and their families into such debt that they're not going to be able to get out of it and they're not going to be able to transition successfully after they're um, re-entered into society. Awesome. So Bill, House Bill 1142 to eliminate fines and fees has a much deeper root to it than to appear to be giving a free pass to children and families who did not, could not, and, and may not ever be able to afford to pay those fines and fees, which also um, have interests that is applied to them as a child goes from being a juvenile or a youth into their adult life. So that $500 fine or restitution or what have you to the court may be in the thousands by the time a person becomes an adult and have to face this again. Can you tell tell us mm -hmm. what the greatest challenge is as an attorney to help an adult who has had this experience? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot of challenges. Um, when a young person is in this legal system, they often do not understand, right, the process. And and that makes sense. We know that the science says that adolescent brains, we don't, they don't develop until 25 and 26. So when you're in the system, you don't understand what these fees are, these fines are. And, and so, you know, that could follow them into adulthood when they try to get a job, when they try to get an apartment, whether, you know, their, their background, it might show up. These things can linger for years. Some of these debts, 
They can get their income taxes, their their refunds garnished, um, their cases can stay open a much longer, and they can actually be held in contempt of court. And some of these things, like you said, they might not even be aware of. And so um, it's really working, and we're working with um, the Missouri Public Defender's Office to help youth that have been in the system, you know, when they're youth, and maybe they're now adults, that they can look at their records to see if there's any um, outstanding debts and work to get that um, removed and taken care of. I mean, hopefully going forward, this won't be an issue if this gets passed, but we know that there's a lot of folks that are now adults that are still living with this that might not be aware of this. And one thing I did want to note that this is, these fees and fines that would be eliminated through the bill, it's not, a, you know, the accountability piece is something that we understand and recognize that, that we want to make sure that youth um, you know, have the resources to help them understand, you know, the consequences of their actions and have accountability and to learn from these things like all of us do kind of learning as we grow up. So restitution, if that's going, that goes usually to the victims, that that wouldn't be touched with this bill. So um, that type of accountability is, is still there that is, is preserved with this bill. It's these other fees and fines that really, you know, are just served as a punish. And that's not what Missouri, Missouri's model of juvenile legal system is to rehabilitate. And that's, um, I think that this goes very much in line with what Missouri has been doing and all the reform that they've already enacted. Awesome. And and there's a perception about the bill that I would like to ask Janae to respond to because some people feel like, well, we're trying to give a free pass, a free get out of jail card to young people who have destroyed property or got caught up in assault um, charges and other kinds of things. And, and it's beginning to kind of get some pushback from those who feel like, you know, well, this is just another way of coddling this, this generation of young people who think they can just do what they wish and there are no consequences. So we want to make sure that our listeners understand that that is not what House Bill 1142 is about. And I would like for Janae to respond to how some of the feelings that she has learned about from others apply to House Bill 1142. Thank you, Ms. Livingston. I would just like to share if we want to talk about consequences, let's talk about the consequences of manufactured poverty. Let's talk about the consequences of racism and oppression. There's consequences to that. And we <clears throat> we have to treat youth differently than we treat adults. Um, we have to be more in tune with youth development and what we're putting into what we're investing in our young people. So um, anybody who wants to use the argument that, you know, this bill is um, not making young people accountable for poor decisions they're making, they're totally off base um, and really just need more education of how the prison to the pipeline to prison is real and these young people deserve education. I mean, when you, when you look at most of the young people, when you look at the stats of most of the young people that are caught up in the system, these are young people who come from single parent homes. They come from impoverished backgrounds. So we, we, we have to, we have to change the dynamics of all that. Everything can't be punitive. 
Absolutely. And this is a game changer. This is something that does address some of the burdens that youth get who grow up in families who are marginalized and and poor and, you know, kind of the Rob Peter to pay Paul and they're both bankrupt. But the most important part of this is the awareness. If we can start young people now thinking about what is my life going to be like as an adult? And we've got kids who have had utilities put in their names, cable bills in their names, other kinds of things, because when you're born now, you get assigned a social security number. And there are some families who have used those young kids' social numbers to get utilities and things of that sort on. Those are things that are going to come back to haunt them later. That's some of the past catching up with you. What are your thoughts about young people kind of having a little resistance to coming to the table now, Janae, as a youth leader and a life coach as you are? What are some of the things that we as adults and and that our listeners can do to A, encourage them to get the knowledge and the public awareness opportunities like we offered on Saturday, which was level one, in my opinion. We want the grassroots organizations to understand what 1142 is about. And then we plug in the kids and they go and testify. What are your thoughts about that experience that some of the kids have gone through? Um, Well, as far as why it would be difficult to get young people to the table, especially um, in a circumstance where they've gotten themselves involved in the court system, I I think that many of them have a level of of embarrassment about their situation that they they don't want to talk about. They don't want to be labeled as a thug. Um, And especially if some of them are caught up in something that they're really not guilty which we know happens a lot in urban communities with young black males. Um, so we know that's a real thing. Um, so uh, we definitely, as a, as adults, as uh, people in the community that work with these young people, we have to rally around them. We have to uh, build up their self-esteem. Um, I, I, I'm just, when we're, when we're thinking about these young people that get caught in, up in this, I'm just thinking about, when we talk about fines and fees, the first step of finding um, representation, you know, uh, this, the whole legal system, whether it be youth or adults, is um, so ingrained in capitalism that um, there's so much system change that ha- has to happen. And HB, H- uh, House Bill 1142 is, is critical to pass that as a, as a major step to getting us to where we need to be to make system change. Well, as we begin to recruit the youth that are going to participate in speaking before legislators and going to Jefferson City with us to lobby for House Bill 1142, I would like to ask our listeners to engage in taking the contact information at phone number, um, email address, and our websites um, as we go into more of the show 
to contact us if you have a young person that is experiencing some systemic um, engagement, whether that be criminal or whether that's just, you know, trying to keep them in school, what have you, because it's a shame that so many things that are part of the poverty urban communities is beginning to be criminalized some kind of way. I mean, how do you criminalize someone just because they grew up in a poor family and and a survival of the fittest and they're doing what they need to do to try to make it from day to day? Will you um, please give the contact information for anyone interested in having their young person um, join our youth group and, and go to Jefferson City and let their voices be heard. This is a time to teach youth how to become leaders today, how important their voices are and their, their life experience does matter. And we want them to be heard. So how would they contact you, Janae, for getting a young person um, identified for the group? Thanks for asking. I can be reached at area code 816-560-0977. You can also email me at info at campchoicekc.com. And if you're wanting to get involved because you are an adult or, or a young person, the MIST organization, Mothers of Incarcerated Sons and Daughters, is an advocacy support group that deals with a number of different things that affect those who are impacted by incarceration. And that website is mistkc.org. Visit that site and you can make contact. You can email from that site, phone numbers on that site, what have you. We're looking for youth who are not necessarily experienced in the juvenile court or family court, we're looking for young people who, A, want to represent youth and what some of the needs are for youth going forward. Any young person who's been in the system or presently in the system, you are more than welcome to come and participate and learn how to, A, get yourself out of that situation, perhaps. And with people like Angela, the legal minds that can just help direct you to getting the help and support you need may avoid you from kind of spending money and not getting results because some of us have experienced that when we try to have a lawyer and try to have representation and not all consultants and all lawyers can get the job done. So please contact Janae Relliford at Camp Choice and Bev Livingston at misdkc.org. Everything you need is right there. And we will try to assist you. But more importantly, right now, we need those young people to come to the table so that their voices can be heard. Angie, what would you like to have people understand as we do this call to action, what what are some of the important elements of getting this bill uh, passed and, and public awareness for this bill? Yeah, thank you, Bev. I think an important part of this is understanding the the breadth of this issue, that it's something that I think it doesn't make the headlines, right? It's not as covered. It's something that impacts 
everybody. So we're, we're you know, talking about juvenile court fines and fees, but this also affects adults. Um, you know, you see this as a way of making money for, um, to keep, you know, systems running in the government and various different um, components of the government, aspects of the government. And so it's, Something that I think is so hidden that we need to just really raise awareness on and just to give some some data behind this that we found out is that in the state of Missouri uh, in 2019, right before the pandemic, it was uh, a total of almost $660,000 in court fees were being imposed to use. And and then during the pandemic, that number went down because we know that everything was shut down, but they were still collecting nearly $250,000. And these, as, as Janae and Brevia brought out, these are being imposed on families of color because we know that Black, Latino, Indigenous youth are overrepresented, overrepresented, overcharged um, in the system. And so they're getting um, assessed and also families in rural areas that don't have the means to be able to afford that debt too. So this is a statewide issue in Missouri. This goes really deep and there's been a lot of reform that's already happened and we've seen what happened in Ferguson and, and seeing how these fees were raising money for the government and off folks that really weren't able to pay for it. And, and so this is, um, like I said, something that will follow young people for their life. And and you don't want to have these consequences on them when we believe, and I, I know that Missouri firmly believes this because this is their model, that youth are are susceptible to change and they can really be rehabilitated. And as long as they're given the mentorship, education, all of these resources that we know are desperately needed, if we can redirect and focus and invest in that, we're going to see, and we've seen this with diversion programs, that recidivism, that drops dramatically. Mm-hmm. Charging these kids is not effective. There's no evidence that we've seen suggest that it is. And so we want young people to understand because they are going to be able to lift their voices and their voices matter. And so if they can reach out, they can get on social media, they can amplify this. They can reach out to their lawmakers, their families to community members and say, hey, we want you to do something about these fines and fees. There's a bill out there that's addressing it. Please bring this up. Please vote on this. Vote in favor because, you know, we're already contributing to society. We are taxpayers and we're being doubly taxed for this and we can't afford this anymore. That's what my hope is and my for folks to take away from from this from the advocacy that we're doing. And we really want to make sure that they understand that the powers and numbers, and if we can get folks together to contact their lawmakers, that's going to make such a huge difference. Well, we are delighted in Kansas City and, and in the state of Missouri to be a part of the National Center for Youth Law. And I appreciate all of the hard work that went into this for the attention to be given to how do we change the world we live in? How do we change our communities and to get young people's attention that they do have the power to help make this change? You may not have the power to choose what family you're born in, but I know for a fact that the state is the body, but the communities are the heart. And when the heart suffers, you know what happens to the body. I would like to say one more time that we need to hear from the leaders of youth groups and young people and parents and families and ministers and pastoral care people that 
want to recommend a young person come as we try to groom them and help them sharpen their saws, that they will be able to speak up and speak out on behalf of those shy youth that I met some at the youth rally. And and I was just really surprised they didn't really feel comfortable introducing themselves. So when we kind of give them center stage and we're giving them the attention they need to be nurtured and develop into these powerful young people that we really need to run our country and our communities and our families, we need to prepare them for that. So I want to thank you, Angela, for the work that the debt free justice um, campaign is doing and the National Center for Youth Law is so critical. I'm so glad that we're able to introduce it to our community because we need that support for our youth. Absolutely. I just want to thank you. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Janae. The event that we had um, was amazing. We had a great turnout from the community members. Like you said, we had youth represented. We had a chance to really talk in depth about these issues and, and tie them to the greater issues of economic and racial injustice. And and so I think we got, you know, a movement going. I, I just can't thank you enough and Representative Burnett, Missouri State Public Defender's Office, and our partners out in St. Louis, Freedom Arts and Education Center, they're working with youth as well. Um to really make this happen. And I do believe that our young people can can advocate and make change in Missouri. And so I'm very hopeful about this bill and the work that we're doing. Absolutely. And hats off to um, Representative Burnett as well, because that's why we elect people to go to the state capitol and to the Congress so that they can represent the needs of the people that they are there to serve. Janae, you had a, a final thought. We've got a couple more minutes. So what did you want to add? Well, I wanted to share. I was uh, someone mentioned, I don't know if it's true, that Missouri has the highest incarceration rates of all the nation. <laughs> so oh, that's a whole nother show. But yes, we are up there. <laughs> yes. So I just want to leave this with what do we want? Do we want to increase the pipeline to prison or do we want to decrease it? Absolutely. So I, I'm thinking that a B, House Bill 1142 is the right way to help decrease the pipeline to prison. Well, that's a big amen. And the train is moving and we want to pick up momentum on this because the legislative session is in full effect. So let's give... Um, Representative Burnett, our support, and you can start by visiting misdkc.org or Camp Choice, info at campchoicekc.com. And Angela, would you like to add anything before we wrap up? We've got about one minute left. Yeah, I would say if you have an opportunity to check out the website for Debt Free Justice, debtfreejustice.org, that has a lot of information about court fines and fees and how to get involved. So I encourage everybody and to reach out to me a, at a Jimenez at youthlaw.org. Um, you know, we're happy to have as many voices be heard. So I hope you all can reach out to us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us and have a quality week. Support for KKFI brought to you by the Lewis and Shirley White Theater at the Jewish Community Center in co-production with the Black Repertory Theater of Kansas City and presented by Theater League, the Broadway musical A Raisin in the Sun, with 14 performances between March 11th and March 26th at the Lewis and Shirley White Theater. For more information, including tickets and showtimes, visit thewhitetheater.org or call the box office at 913 327-8054.
Every Tuesday from 6 to 6.30 p.m., Radioactive Magazine, a locally produced public affairs program, spotlights individuals and organizations in our community that deal with ideas and issues of social and political significance such as climate change, racial and gender inequality, pay inequity, and much, much more. That's Radioactive Magazine, Tuesdays, 6 to 6.30 p.m., right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Acclaimed poet Naomi Shihab Nye will be interviewed March 17th on Understanding Israel-Palestine. The daughter of a Palestinian refugee, Nye spent part of her youth in Palestine. She speaks about her poetry and life on Understanding Israel-Palestine, Friday, March 17th at 9.30 a.m. That's Friday, March 17th at 9.30 a.m. Every day, KKFI is posting new content on our social media sites. Follow us or give us a like on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KKFI901FM and learn more about your community radio station. Now, the calendar for the week of March 13th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Monday, March 13th at 6 p.m. is the Moore Square Monthly Issues to Action Meeting. Every second Monday of the month, leaders and members from across the metro gather online to advance racial and economic equity. These meetings are open to any who are interested in getting involved. The Zoom link is available at moresquare.org. Wednesday, March 15th, 1.15 to 2.15, Along with partners, More Square will be in the Kansas State House at a rally for Can Care expansion. More details on the Facebook event page. Thursday, March 16th, 5 p.m., Hope and Healing for Survivors of Homicide is a monthly support group sponsored by Casey Mothers in Charge. They'll meet at the Robert J. Mohart Multipurpose Event Center, 3200 Wayne Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Please RSVP by phone or email 816-912-2601 or latrice.murray at caseymothersincharge.org. Friday, March 17th at 11 a.m., Empower Missouri's Community Justice Coalition meets virtually. The Community Justice Coalition is a multi-sector team of dedicated advocates who envision a future without mass incarceration. More info at empowermissouri.org. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Stay safe.
Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show. It's the 420 Drug War News. Our guest on last week's Cultural Baggage Show was Greg Gladden, an attorney, former head of Texas ACLU. And my question to him uh, concerned qualified immunity. Um, qualified immunity is a problem that started back in 1967, uh, the Supreme Court case called Pierce. There were uh, 15 uh, ministers that did some civil disobedience in those days by uh, sitting in a waiting room that was supposed to be segregated mm. and were arrested uh, for uh, violating the segregation laws. And they sued the police, uh, and it, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, the police had uh, good faith in uh, enforcing those laws and uh, therefore couldn't uh, be held responsible or, or couldn't, be, couldn't even be sued. Um, the law was later declared unconstitutional. Uh, later in the 80s, the, they kind of did away with the good faith that the police had to prove um, and uh, basically just said that the, there needed to be clearly established law that the police knew they were violating. And if there's not, if there wasn't a case exactly like the one that the police carried out, uh, it was going to be very difficult to prove that what they did was clearly established to be wrong, and they knew it and did it anyway. So it made it very difficult to get to first base. And, and uh, the courts allow it, – it's a court-created law, and the courts allowed them to uh, appeal and the police to appeal an adverse ruling on whether they could be sued or not uh, before you ever got your day in court. So, um, you know, if I sue a police officer and he raises qualified immunity and the judge says, oh, that's silly, let's go to trial, he can appeal it and put it off for another two years while it goes up and down the appellate ladder. Uh, and that's, that's and anyway, that, that's kind of the way it evolved and developed. And it's, it's, uh, it's really created a systemic problem in, police accountability because they've learned um, that they're not accountable. No, that's, that's so true. Uh, again, that was Greg Gladden, former head of the Texas ACLU. He was our guest last week on the Cultural Baggage Show for, well, the full half hour and held the Moral High Ground Show for a full hour. I am Dean at DrugTruth.net. This is Terry Wilkie, and we're getting ready to connect with our next part of our show, Telephone Problems at KKFI. We're going to hear from Latara Smith and Cliff Middleton just as soon as we can get them to come uh, over the phone. Cliff Middleton's father was put in prison in 1980 for a murder he has always clearly stated he did not commit. There was no one at the Middleton's home that afternoon. He and his wife were home, and she was shot 
Ken Middleton was not in the room even and doesn't can't speak as to why the event happened. However, because he felt he was innocent, he went to trial. He refused to accept a plea and went to trial. The jury convicted him, and he has appealed and appealed and appealed. His The ruling was overturned by a judge. And the prosecuting attorney for Jackson County, Gene Peters Baker, has never agreed to have a new hearing since the new Missouri legislation in 2021 that uh, resulted in the hearing that allowed Kevin Strickland to be free. Well, no, we're, we're still having telephone problems. <laughs> I have our phones ringing here, and uh, let me see what I can do to fill time until we have Latara and uh, Cliff online. Warren Zevon's Prison Grove. An icy wind burns and scars Rushes in like a fallen star through the narrow space between these bars Looking down on prison grows Dug in, hunkered down Hours race without a sound Gonna carry me to where I'm bound Looking down on prison grove Iron will, heart is rock Hold me up for the faithful knock When they walk me down in a mortal lock Out on prison Okay, great. 
All right, everyone. Well, sorry we had some telephone difficulties, but myself and uh, Mr. Cliff Middleton is now on the phone. Cliff, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank I you appreciate you coming on. Now, Teresa has done a, a really good job of uh, kind of beginning to explain to the listeners um, who your dad is and the situation revolving around your case. So we're just going to just hop right in here. Now, Cliff, I want to know exactly what is going on at this point. I know that you guys have a motion that was just filed recently in court, and I know that that, you know, um, Mr. Middleton's attorney has tried to, you know, uh, go to Gene Peters Baker to address this issue uh, with your father's case. Uh, Cliff, just jump in there and tell us exactly what's going on right now. Well, the new law, RSMO 547-031, um, the, that was enacted in uh, 2022, uh, or actually it's 2021. Um, you give um, motion courts jurisdiction uh, to hear wrongful conviction claims. It's the same law that was used to free Kevin Strickland. And okay. um, uh, my father's case is it's it's just a unique case. It's it's unlike um, any case that I know of. Actually, uh, my father was convicted in in 1991. And in 2004, um, the motion court, which was the same court that Kevin Strickland went in front of, the motion court reopened his case and held a two-day evidentiary hearing uh, on my father's conviction. Uh, forensic experts testified to his innocence that uh, it was 100% impossible for my father to have to have shot my my stepmother, and you know the jury never heard none of this evidence. Um, the uh, former governor of Missouri came in and testified at that hearing that um, um, this was the worst case of constitutional violations he had ever witnessed um, in 41 years of practicing law, and he would have given my father a full pardon. So, you know, after that evidentiary hearing concluded, you know, the prosecutors fought us. I want to point that out. Back then, um, the prosecutors fought us relentlessly. And, you know, after the evidentiary hearing concluded, they come to my dad two weeks later and offered him an Alford plea. Uh, okay, now can you explain to the listeners exactly what an Alford plea is? Yeah, an Alfred plea is you're still pleading guilty, uh, but you're um, you're able to maintain that you're you're innocent, but you're um, agreeing that the state has enough evidence to convict you. So it's still a guilty plea. And you know, my father, with all appeals exhausted, refused to take that. And there's not a guilty man in prison that would refuse to take that plea. As a matter of fact, most innocent people are forced to take it because of, you know, uh, the broken justice system. So, uh, but my father refused to take it. And uh, 11 months later, the trial judge, the same judge that sent him to prison to die, overturned his conviction. Now, that's no different than what just happened to Kevin Strickland. Uh, the motion court overturned his conviction, except it wasn't the trial judge. 
you know, our trial judge overturned his conviction and found that he was denied effective representation. And had he had effective representation, he would have been acquitted. So, you know, uh, this new law, um, everything this new law requires has already been done by my father. So, you know, this new law requires the same thing, that you have to write a fact and findings and conclusions of law, which Kevin Strickland's case did, which our case did. And, um, you know, so his conviction has already been overturned. Now, back before, you know, in 2004, before this new law was enacted, uh, the same prosecutor's office. Now, people need to think about this. The Jackson County Prosecutor's Office lost in a court of law. That is a fact. That's not a discretional issue. That is a fact. They lost. Okay. They offered the Alper plea. He re- refused it. And they turned around and appealed the decision. And back then, the appeals courts ruled that Judge Messina didn't have jurisdiction to hear the case. Now, after having done everything that Kevin Strickland done uh, almost 18 years ago and, you know, Lamar Johnson's case, they went down there and tried to reopen his case uh, a few years back. And they said they didn't have jurisdiction to do that. So this new law corrected all of that. And we're sitting here with a prosecutor's office that has already lost the case in my dad's in, in you know um, in my dad's situation, and due to that conflict of interest of, among a lot of other conflict of interest, they're refusing to file. Now I was getting I, I tried to stop you just a few minutes ago. I, I, I can't go <laughs> back now to what I was getting ready to say, but you mentioned Gene Peters Baker saying. Um, uh, a particular, what, what did you say she said in reference to your dad's case? Why she's not yeah. wanting to, yeah. uh, uh, Yes, yes. Jean has, um, told the media, and I encourage everyone to go pull up the Kansas City Star. All you have to do is Google Ken Middleton, Kansas City Star, or Ken Middleton ABC News. The national news has actually picked up this injustice and has covered it. And she's telling the media that even though she respects her advisor, our former trial judge is now her advisor, she she has told the media that even though she respects her, she disagrees with her. Now, I would like to point out what Judge Messina, her advisor, she found in my father's case that trial counsel Robert Duncan took no depositions, interviewed no witnesses, retained no independent experts to evaluate the state's scientific propositions, gave no um, opening statement, called no witnesses for the defense, advised the defendant not to testify, and had in his possession an altered uh, gunshot residue report which uh, would have shown that my my uh, stepmother accidentally fired the weapon. And, you know, that was one of the main things why the judge overturned the conviction is because that would have created reasonable doubt. And, you know, the trial judge knew this case better than anyone. I don't even believe Gene Peters Baker was out of law school when this case was tried. And, you know, the trial judge 
throughout the conviction because of that. And, you know, that was an extensive evidentiary hearing. These reviews that Gene's Conviction Integrity Unit have in the four or five years it's been in existence has only found one case. Kevin Strickland's were a wrongful conviction happened. Now, come on, people. Look at all the people in Jackson County that have been exonerated. You know, uh, Kevin Strickland, uh, Keith Carnes, Ricky Kidd. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, Reggie Griffin. I mean, it just goes, it goes, uh, uh, Amron, Joseph Amron. It goes on and on. So statistically, we know that, that Gene is not, you know, following this law. Well, I want to say this in reference to the Conviction Integrity Unit, um, and people should, I hope people listen to what I'm saying here. Uh, when you look up exonerations for the state of Missouri, Jackson County has the highest number of exonerations, okay? So the majority of the Missouri exonerees, they fail out of Jackson County, Missouri. And to look at how her current conviction and jury unit has only released one person, which is Kevin Strickland, under the new law. If you look at other conviction review units, uh, if you look at the one in, in uh, Wayne County, uh, which is out of Michigan, they have so many people that's released. I, I just saw the stats for New York, and they have overturned, the conviction review unit has let 34 people out. And so, you know, this conviction integrity unit here in Jackson County, Missouri, in my opinion, it's just there on paper. It's not doing what it should do, because if it was, it would most definitely be viewing, uh, 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 looking over your dad's case and addressing it. Now, well, but see, that's the thing, Latara, with my father's case, um, you know, the review has already been done. This, with my father's case, that's what's so unique about my father's case. I know of no other case in the state of Missouri where an inmate has went back into the motion court after their conviction became final, 14 years later, went back into the motion court and won. People need to understand how hard that is to do. It's next to impossible, and we did it. So it's not about Jean's reviews. You know, her reviews don't involve calling witnesses, ha- being able to cross-examine witnesses, uh, uh, having a findings and facts and conclusions of law written. Her little reviews are done behind closed doors in-house. They are not, they are nothing like an evidentiary hearing. So in my father's case, they have already lost. Her discretion to disagree with the judge is really not at issue. All she has to do is file a one-page motion conferring jurisdiction because we've already won on the merits. This is a jurisdictional issue for my father, which is unlike any other case in the state of Missouri where you still have to go in and prove that you were wrongfully convicted. We already done it, and Gene is refusing to give jurisdiction to a man who already won his freedom, and that is that is despicable in my opinion. Well, I most definitely agree, but it seems like I remember, too, that Gene wasn't being quite honest, um, because it, it, 
If I remember absolutely, correctly. Absolutely. I'm glad you touched on that, Latara. Gene argues that the appeals court overturned Judge Messina. That is factually incorrect. I want to make that very clear. The appeals court never addressed whether my father was wrongfully convicted. They only addressed Judge Messina's jurisdiction, which was reprehensible what they done. So the AG and Gene Peters Baker are no different from one another. They are both hiding behind a jurisdictional technicality that this new law corrects. And we we need to hold our elected officials accountable for that. They're, my father's not the only wrongfully convicted person in Jackson County. This law needs to be utilized, and it's not. Now, yeah, just totally, totally unfair what Gene is doing because Gene most definitely could could, could do something uh, in this in this situation. Um, so right now, okay, let's kind of move forward. Right now, you guys have filed a motion to disqualify her office, okay, due to her prosecutorial misconduct, correct? Absolutely. And you could go on our website at free-kenmiddleton.com and, and read them. I will have them posted on there. And, yes, we deserve to have conflict review of my father's case. When you got a prosecutor's office that's already lost, what's the chances of them filing a motion? It's nils. They already know the outcome. They lost. And, you know, in my opinion, they're covering up egregious prosecutorial misconduct, which you can see on our website. And you can read in the Kansas City Star and you can read at the ABC News as well. There is some some very uh, despicable behavior from the prosecutor's office that took place. Right, right, right. Well, I, I can tell you that I don't think the people really realize, you know, like I said, your father's case, and you have done, I just I just want to take my hat off to you, you have done an awesome job of getting your dad's case out into the eyes of everyone here in the public. And um, it, it's just been wonderful. And I think, you know, Toriana Porter did such an awesome job uh, here with the KC editorial board, the last story he did. And also Mark with ABC News, uh, he did a really nice story. I had a good time speaking with him, and, you know, and he called me and he asked me some things in reference to Jackson County, and I told him, I said, hey, listen, you need to do this story and tons of other stories because there is so much, you know, in my opinion, there is so many cases in Jackson County, Missouri that need to be looked at, but it just appears that our prosecutors can do just what they want to do, and they never get held to any type of accountability. I mean, like, how is Jean actually being, you know, able to do what she's doing? You know, it's not fair. It's not right, in my opinion. You know, I like I said, this isn't a discretionary issue here. Uh, she has information of an erroneous conviction that has never been challenged by any higher court. She lost. That office lost. My father, just imagine right now if Kevin Strickland and Lamar Johnson, if the attorney general would have brought up some procedural technicality that was done wrong, and they still remained in prison 18 years after they won. 
Well, it takes me back to Ricky Kent's case. There was a procedural issue why they didn't want to address the wrongful conviction of Ricky Kent. And it took another judge in another jurisdiction, okay, because they fought jurisdiction and all types of stuff, all types of things in Ricky Kent's case. So had had it not been for a judge, uh, I can only speak of his first name, Darren, um, letting Ricky out, Ricky wouldn't be free today because Jackson County was not going to do anything, and the AG was holding Ricky in on the procedural issue of him missing a deadline. Thirty now, seconds. Cliff, we're coming down to the last minute here. I want you to give everyone the website, and I want you to give us the information we need as we close out. Um. Yes. Yes. Um. This is uh my website's free hyphen middleton dot com, and I just want everybody to know I'm fighting for my father, but I'm fighting to help correct our broken justice system in Jackson County for everyone. So please visit All my right. website. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to KKFI ninety point one Jaws of Justice. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. <laughs>